Father, thanks for the myriad of ways you provide for us. I pray this morning that as we look at this issue of freedom and hopefully, Lord, prepare our hearts and minds for a message of liberation, I pray that your spirit would bring enlightenment and truth, conviction, exhortation, encouragement in the ways we need it today. In Jesus' name, amen. There was a trio of movies that were incredible box office uh, hit successes. Uh, the first of that trio was called The Matrix. The Matrix, and if you've seen this movie, it's an interesting movie. It has lots of spiritual overtones. Um, what I want to focus on just briefly in introducing the teaching this morning is in The Matrix, in this movie, there's this guy named Neo, and and Neo's just average Joe guy going along in his life. But he kind of senses that there's more to his life than he can really pin down. He's not sure what it's about, but somehow he thinks it's tied to this thing, this this, uh, word that's whispered in the undertones of people's lives called the matrix. But he's not sure what all that means. And, And through a series of adventures, he's introduced to this guy named Morpheus. And Morpheus tells him that, yes, indeed, Neo, there's more to life than you realize. And and if you want, I'll help you to, sh- I'll show you just how deep, he says, this rabbit hole goes. He gives him the option of staying right where he's at in life or of having his eyes open to the reality of life as it really is that Neo is unaware of. And he tells him, if you take this one pill, you'll wake up and it'll be life as usual. But if you take this other pill, Your eyes will become enlightened, as it were. You'll realize the way things really are. You'll realize what truth is, what reality is. And, you know, in Neo's mind, he's this average Joe guy living his life day to day just with the thought that maybe there's something more. But, of course, he takes the blue pill, or is it the red pill? I forget. And he starts this adventure into discovering what reality really is. And, Reality is that Neo is not average Joe in this life as he understood it in his own mind. He's a battery. He's a human battery in this embryonic, womb-like little catacomb or, or container in which he's plugged in, as are all these other human beings providing their body's energy to run the computers and the machines that have taken over their universe. You see, in Neo's mind, he's free. And he's living life. But in reality, he's not free. He's a slave. And he's plugged in through his spine and his head to provide the energy to run the computer and the machine world that has taken over this earth. And there was a difference. There was a disjoint. Uh, What he perceived as reality was not reality. He thought he was free when in fact he was not. He was a slave, bound down, tied down, by these machines to provide power for someone, something else. Thought he was free, but he wasn't. Thought he knew reality, but he didn't. Until Morpheus helps open his eyes to see things the way they really are. Last week, that's by way of introduction, last week we looked at Jesus and we talked about Jesus speaking words of truth and doing those things that please the Father. We talked about emptying the bags of our words and actions out on the table during the week and just kind of doing an inventory and seeing, did our words and did our actions stack up like Jesus? Were were they those that honored 
his father, our words and our deeds. We also talked last time about the fact that not infrequently, especially in our corner of the world, when you share the gospel, which means good news, there's just little reception for it. Because when you tell people that they need to be saved, it's like, well, saved from what? And we talked about the fact that there's this sense, spiritually, in which a person's house is on fire, but they have no sense of impending danger. So you tell them you need to get out of your house, and they say, well, why? Or you say the flood's coming, you need to leave, but they have no sense that the flood is coming. They have no sense of need, so that when you present the good news, the gospel, there's no need to drive them to understand it and to embrace it. And that they need to have the sense of the fire's there so that someone tells them, and this is the way out, then it makes sense. Typically, you'll find this is true for almost all of us, if you don't have a sense of need, you don't receive a thing. It has no value for it for you apart from your sense of value. If you don't need a thing, typically, you don't value it. I was preparing to teach through John 8, verses 31 through 36 this week, and I'm putting that off a week, and it's for this reason. I feared that we would get to this passage, and it would be of little value because we would have little sense of personal need. The passage that we'll look at next week and that we'll reference today is about freedom. You'll find it interesting in the passage, the group to whom Jesus speaks has no sense of need. So when he tells them that he'll give them freedom, they're like, what do you mean freedom? We are free. He says they're not, but they don't know it. Like Neo, they have a perception of reality that's false. They don't know that they're plugged in, in bondage and in slavery. They think they're free. So when Jesus talks about freedom, they're like, well, what do you mean? We are free. My hope this morning is to, in a sense, discourage you. It's to gain some accurate perspective. It's to take the pill with Neo and see what reality really is. In your life and mine, it's to gain gain some accurate sense of bondage, of the lack of freedom in your life and mine, so that when we hear Jesus' words about freedom, there's some sense of need. There's some sense of need. You know, you could go to a lot of trouble to set your table with the finest china and silverware and the finest glasses, the aged wine, and set a feast, and you could bring a person up to that table and say, here it is, and you know what? If they're not hungry, so what? If I feel full, your feast has no value for me. But boy, if I come hungry and I see that table, I'm ready to dive in. My hope this week is only this. It's no more than this. It's just that we gain some sense of hunger. It's just that we gain some sense that maybe we have some areas in our life that we're not as free as we might like to think we are. So that when we hear Jesus' words about freedom and liberty, they make sense. That we have some personal sense of need So when Jesus says the sun's come to set you free, it makes sense. It didn't in John's audience, and I'm afraid, in Jesus' audience and in John's gospel, I'm afraid for most of us, 
it would have the same sense of little value for us because we don't sense freedom. You know, most of us here are citizens of the United States of America. We believe in life, liberty, that is freedom, and the pursuit of happiness. And we've got this history where we threw off the shackles of tyranny to that old dirty King George, and, and we're a nation conceived in liberty, and, and we can all kind of do and, and go as we please. So when you talk to free, about freedom to Americans, we're kind of like, yeah, that's all about us. We're free. We're free. We're with you. We're there. But the truth is, I'm convinced, we may be more spiritually impoverished than any other portion of the church of Jesus Christ on planet Earth. I read an article just the other day in which Christians in China are praying for persecution for you and I. For this reason, they have watched the church in China blossom and grow and thrive under persecution. They have seen Christians in the West grow fat and lazy when we have everything. So it's not that they feel bad towards us or want to curse us. They want to help us. And they see that under persecution, they have thrived. The church has thrived. And of course, this is true historically throughout the ages as well. But like that church in Laodicea, do you remember the last church in Revelation 3 Jesus addresses? What he says to them, see, they're rich. They're like us. And whether you feel rich or not, if you're an American or you live in America, by historical or world standards, you're wealthy. To this church in Laodicea, just like us, Jesus says, you know what? You think you're rich and you have need of nothing. But really, reality is you're poor, blind, naked, and destitute. And I'm afraid for most of us, if not entirely, or even if we're not characterized by it, there are vistas in our lives in which we're poor, blind, wretched, and miserable, but we think we're okay. We're enslaved, but we think we're free. And we're not. And I'm convinced that before Jesus' words about freedom make sense, you've got to realize, you've got to come to grips in some honest way with the areas in your life that are not what they should be so that we don't make the mistake of Laodicea saying, we're okay, or the Jews in John 8. We've never been in bondage. I would argue that we have. First, related to freedom, what in the world is it to be free? What is freedom and what is slavery? Let me give you a dictionary definition of freedom. It means to be not under the control of some other person or arbitrary power. To be free means to be not controlled by someone else. It's the ability to act or think without compulsion or restriction. By the way, there's 23 definitions under free. In my dictionary, these are at the top, and these are the ones we're concerned with. So basically, it's kind of this. If I'm free, I'm free to do as I choose. I'm free to live life as I see fit. I'm not constrained, hemmed in, shackled, coerced by some power or entity around me or outside of me. I'm free to do as I please. Now, just think about this on a practical level. We do enjoy great freedom, and I don't, under, I don't mean to understate this at all. We, we enjoy great freedom, so we're free to live where we want. We're free to buy a house that we choose to live in. We're free to go to school where we want. 
We're free to go to church if we choose to go to church. We've got all kinds of practical day-to-day freedoms. No compulsion, no restriction. We're not bound up. We can just do as we see fit. That's freedom. It really is. So we're free to do all kinds of things. We're also free from all kinds of things. Generally, we're free from enemy invasion. Generally, you all know this is conditional now when I say things like this. Generally, we're free from uh, taxation without representation. You know, we, we could go on. The list would go on and on. So we're free to do some things and we're free from some things. These are genuine and legitimate freedoms. But then ask yourself this. So even within those genuine, legitimate freedoms, how free are we really? Well, we're free to a degree, aren't we? Because where I live is dependent on how much money I have and how my health is on what I do or don't do, isn't it? I've got all these caveats, these exceptions to my freedom. I'm free, but to some limited sense. I have freedom, but it's not absolute. I have great liberties in a practical sense, but they're certainly not absolute. If you bring this sense of freedom or liberty into the spiritual realm, which is where we want to talk and spend the balance of our time this morning, that's where it gains its, its uh, greater importance. Greater importance. Uh, we're free to do as we like. Are we free to do as we should? We're free to do as we like. Are we free to do as we should? Slavery, in contrast to freedom, a slave is a person who is owned by and subject to the will of another. A person who's owned by, subject to the will of another. Someone who's controlled by another. Bondage, by the way, slaves actually comes from Slavs. In our term, slavery was applied to Slavs, that is Eastern European, because they were made slaves. They were put into bondage. To be in bondage is to be literally in bonds. It's to have your freedom restricted by being shackled, literally. You know what you'd do with a slave, just as you would sometimes a horse. You'd hobble the horse so it couldn't run away. You'd bind the slave with chains so it couldn't run away. That person couldn't get away. They were not free to do as they pleased. In the New Testament, if you look up this subject of slavery or freedom... By and large, it's always tied to one thing. Do you know what that one thing is? Sin. Theologically, the concept of freedom and slavery in the New Testament is tied to sin. I'm free or I'm in bondage in relation to the power, the presence, and the penalty of sin. So where, this, where the rubber meets the road for us, The freedom or the bondage has to do with to what degree am I free from the control or influence of sin or conversely, to what degree am I in bondage? Am I chained? Am I controlled by sin? And remember, when we say sin, I still flinch a little bit when I say sin. I don't know for you guys, some things are culturally bound for me If I hear certain kinds of music, I think Hicksville from the 40s. I think culturally inappropriate. Some southern gospel strikes me that way. And people lose the message because of the cultural container it comes in. Well, sin is like that for us too. It's a word that that somehow has taken on a connotation that we find negative and, 
and not helpful. But remember this, when we're talking about sin, the biblical view of sin is it's in some way that we miss God's mark. Sin means that we're not what we were meant to be. Or sin means that we don't live life the way God meant us to. And because God's good and generous, when we miss the mark, it means we're falling short. It doesn't mean he's punitive towards us per se. It doesn't mean he's a harsh God who withholds good things from us. It means we're missing what he meant us to know or to have. So when we say we're in bondage to sin, it's not that we're being deprived of anything. It's that we're missing out on life in the way God meant us to experience. When we miss the mark, we're missing all that God had for us. We've become something he didn't intend us to be. Since he's a good and benevolent God, that means we're missing out. We're missing something that is desirable. So sin, the New Testament concept of freedom and slavery is almost always tied to sin. In relation to sin, am I free to be the person in Christ God means me to be? Or am I chained up and shackled in bondage to sin keeping me from being the person in Christ God the Father meant me to be. That's what you need to think of when we're talking about this. Jesus will say in John 8, when we look at this next week, he says, everyone who commits sin is the slave of sin. Now remember, a slave is constrained by the will of another. A slave is not free to do as they would please. Jesus says, everyone who commits sin is the slave, is chained to, is controlled by sin. To the degree that sin reigns in your life and mine, we are slaves. We are not free. In Romans 6, Paul says, I'm paraphrasing and parsing this just to make the point, you are slaves of the one you obey, either of sin resulting in death. If you sin, you're the slave of sin. You were, he says to Christians, past tense, slaves. To sin. Slaves to sin. A couple illustrations. Uh, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. By the way, you know, kids' stories are often really adult stories masquerading so that you'll read them to your kids so you'll get the point. <laughs> Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. You know, poor, uh, poor Charlie, the poor kid, you know, there in England, doesn't have two nickels to rub together, but he gets the golden ticket, wins the trip into Willy Wonka's chocolate factory, takes Grandpa Joe with him. Chance of a lifetime, right? They go through Willy Wonka's marvelous heaven on earth, paradise, lick the walls, drink the river, you know, everything's edible. It's great. And as they go through, they come to this one area, they don't even go in, they kind of go by it, and they ask, well, what's this? And it's this kind of smallish chamber that goes up forever. And there's this vat and there's these bubbles coming out of it. Willy Wonka says, that's fizzy lifting drink, but it's not perfected. It's still too powerful, so we can't market it yet. And the tour goes on. Well, Grandpa Joe and Charlie, they're, they're wondering about this fizzy lifting drink. So they pop one of those bottles of fizzy lifting drink and they freely choose to break the rule of Willy Wonka and to drink that fizzy lifting drink. And they do. And they say, gosh, it tastes pretty good. Hey, nothing's happened. This is cool. And then what happens? Then they start to float off the floor because the fizzy lifting drink is carrying them up, right? 
gives them that lift. They're floating in the air. And you know, at first it's great fun. They're, they're like fish swimming in the ocean, you know, and then they're like birds flying in the air as they continue to rise and rise and rise. And, and then after a while it becomes apparent uh, they can't get down. Their free choice to use fizzy lifting drink is now constraining their behavior. And the trouble is they're going up to the exhaust fan and they're going to be sliced into pieces by the exhaust fan. And it's only the fact that they're able to belch their way down and get rid of that fizzy lifting drink that they are saved. But you see, initially they make this choice freely to break the rule to drink the fizzy lifting drink. But then the fizzy lifting drink controls them. They make a choice freely, and then that free choice turns into bondage, into something they can't control anymore. Here's another one for you. Uh, Pinocchio, you know, and and I'm thinking of the Disney movie here. It's just graphic and it's really helpful. You know, Pinocchio, the struggle of the little boy, the little wooden boy, will he be a good boy or will he be a bad boy? And, you know, he, he, Jiminy Cricket's gone sometimes, his little conscience on his shoulder, and he makes choices that later he wishes he hadn't. And if you remember during one part of the movie, kind of towards the end, Pinocchio joins a gang of boys who take up the invitation of the traveling guy to go to a wonderful place called Pleasure Island. And on Pleasure Island, little boys get to do all the things that otherwise they couldn't do. So the scene is Pinocchio down there at the pool table with Lampwick. And Lampwick's teaching him how to drink beer and smoke those cigars. You know, they're enjoying every excess and everything that would otherwise be forbidden. And as they do, and they're laughing at each other's jokes, you know, their laughter starts sounding a little hoarse. It kind of starts sounding a little brain. And Poor Pinocchio, you know, his eyes, he does the double take as he looks at Lampwick and Lampwick's ears grow and a tail spouts out his back end and, and they become what they were acting like, jackasses, right? Giving jackasses a bad name. It was a trap, wasn't it? These guys know on the magic on the island, these boys do everything to excess and they turn into donkeys to be sold off to work in the mines. And you see, the thing is, They go to Pleasure Island freely, of their own free will. It's where they want to go. It's what they want to do initially. But then the choice they made freely makes them. And what what started as a free choice ends in slavery and bondage as they're carted off to go work in the mines as the donkeys they had behaved like. Now, you and I are not Pinocchio. And fizzy lifting drink is still not on the market as far as I know. But, you know, I'll bet if we did a little inventory in our own life, you might find, as I have, that when I do a little inspection, like we did last week with our actions and words, if you do a little inspection this week, I'll bet you'll find that in some area of your life or more, you'll find some areas in which you think or you thought you were free that maybe you're a little less free than you realize. Let me just go over a, a brief list with you. Eating. Eating. I love to eat. The older I get, I find eating becomes recreational. I've talked to other people my age or older, and they say the same thing. And, you know, eating is a great thing. And food, you know, God's given us all things richly and abundantly to enjoy. No downside to that. But you know what? I can abuse eating. I can abuse food. 
And when I do that, I freely choose to eat more food than I should. And let's say I make a habit of that. I freely eat as much as I want, as often as I want, so that I don't feel empty or lonely or desperate or whatever. I'm using food for something it wasn't made for. And I add 10 or 20 extra pounds, which I have, or 50 or 100. Well, at the end of that line, let's say I I put on 100 pounds I don't need. Am I freely using food? Or is food using me? Am I free in my eating or am I in chains? If I came up to any one of you and I said, here's a 75-pound bag filled with bricks. I want you to put it on your back and I I want you to carry that with you 24 hours a day, seven days a week. You'd think I was crazy. You wouldn't pick it up and you wouldn't do it. But you and I could do that by overeating, couldn't we? Add 75 pounds we don't need. Carry it with us 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And every time we ate excessively, we're eating freely, aren't we? Sort of. Are we free, though? Or are we in bondage? Are we free or are we in bondage? Alcohol. I've said this before. I know this is a... It's one of uh, what uh, Christians call gray areas. I don't, I don't believe it's gray. I believe Christians are free to enjoy alcohol. In fact, I believe that without a proper understanding of the use of wine in the Old and New Testaments, you can't even understand God's idea of celebration. Isaiah 25, when God sets a feast, when death has been destroyed, what does he do? He brings out the best wine. Wine on the lees, the aged, refined, choice wine, with all the, the delicious meats and things we serve. What did Jesus do earlier at a wedding in Cana? He turned water into wine. Wine is a picture of joy and abundance and celebration in the Scriptures, both Testaments. I believe as a Christian you can enjoy wine within the strictures of Scripture, which is not to drunkenness and not to the harm of anyone else. So let's say I say, well, you know, there's nothing wrong with alcohol. I'll just have that drink after dinner, and I do. Great. Then I say, well, gosh, you know, that first one was so good, I'll have another. And I'll have another. And I'll have another. And if I make a pattern of abusing alcohol in my life, cirrhosis of the liver, I turn into a person I don't want to be, I have a lifestyle I don't want to live when I'm abusing what, what in other wise would be a, a fine thing. Am I free? Now, on one hand, I'm freely choosing each drink I put up there, but on the other, am I really free? Am I using alcohol or is alcohol using me? Am I free or am I in bondage? Here's one we don't often think of, but I want to bring up words. Words. You know, in the United States, we have freedom of speech. Pretty well say whatever you want, whenever you want to say it. Pretty well. Not without limits. You know, words, we communicate with each other, written, oral, whatever, through words. We can use words. It's something we need to do. But do you ever find yourself saying words to someone that later you said, gosh, I wish I hadn't said that? Have you ever found yourself lashing out at someone in anger using words that you regretted later or knew that you had taken words like a knife to stab someone in the back so you'd feel better? Are you freely using words or are the words using you? Are you in bondage to that attitude that comes out in those words or are you free? 
Are you free or are you in bondage? Here's another one that ties to that, anger and bitterness. You know that as long as you live on planet Earth, you will be sinned against. You will be sinned against. And by the way, you'll do the sinning sometimes too. You'll be on the giving and the receiving end of sin. Sometimes intentional, sometimes unintentional. You and I have a response to this. Every time it happens to us, what do we do with that? Sometimes anger is legitimate. In fact, if you look in the scriptures, it is legitimate. I would hasten to add, though, if you do a word study on anger, both Testaments, you'll find that with about two exceptions, whenever anger is brought up in the scriptures, there's a warning attached to it. There's a warning attached to it. Anger is like dynamite. It's destructive. Under very controlled situations, anger can be a positive. But generally, it's a negative. When people sin against you, life doesn't go the way it should or you had desired, you can entertain anger as your response because anger makes us feel better, sort of. I'd rather be mad than sad. I'd rather feel angry than powerless and impotent. Anger's an option on my response so that I'll feel better about what's going on in my life or not going on in my life. Anger's an option. I freely choose to be angry. I freely choose to hold grudges against other people and harbor bitterness and hate inside me. I freely choose to be angry. Or do I? Have you met angry, bitter people? Are you one? Angry, bitter people are not fun to be around. You don't want to be around them. And you know what? Oftentimes the angry, bitter people, they've got this thing going on inside them that's destroying them and is not hurting the person, the anger and the resentment and the bitterness is actually aimed at. Are you freely choosing anger or is anger using you? Are you free or are you in bondage when you do that? Sex, lastly, the most powerful things on earth generally have to have the narrowest uh, restraints put on them, the most restraints put on them. Dynamite, powerful, so we restrict its use because it's so powerful it can be very destructive. Sex is like dynamite. It's one of the more powerful gifts God has given us. And in the right way, sex is very wholesome and very upbuilding, powerful in a positive way. But boy, can it be otherwise. And you know, in our culture, not just the United States, but in, really around the world, <clears throat> sex has become kind of our mantra. We're, we're wallowing and we're swimming in sex because it, it is powerful. And because even when abused, it gives this short-term sense like alcohol or overeating of comfort or solace or whatever or freedom from discouragement or loneliness or whatever. But boy, like any other addiction, abuse sex and ask yourself this question, am I freely using sex or is sex using me? In fact, Talk to any addict, and pornography has become one of the greatest addictions in the United States today. It's almost always men. It's uh, for reasons that I won't go into this morning. Men are particularly prone to this particular sin of lust, the lust of the eye. And, And it's all over. It's all around our culture, of course. But ask an addict how free they feel. Uh, whether it's drugs that they've got to shoot up or take, or whether it's alcohol, or whether it's sex or pornography, whatever it is, ask an addict how free they feel. You know, on one hand, they would tell you, 
I'm freely choosing to do the things I do. I remember one uh, famous movie star said, this was a guy who was convicted repeatedly for illicit drug use. He said, I guess I like the taste of metal in my mouth, meaning I feel like I've got a shotgun in my mouth and my fingers on the trigger. That, he, that although on one hand we could say he was freely choosing to abuse drugs, on the other he felt like I, I, can't, I can't deliver myself. I can't seem to get away from this unhealthy addiction. Why would anyone put a gun in their mouth? But he said that's what his life felt like. A gun in his mouth, he guessed he liked the taste of steel. He couldn't deliver himself. Addicts are not free. C.S. Lewis has a great definition related to sin, especially in the area of lust. When he says this, that lust is an ever-increasing desire for an ever-diminishing return. I think this is very concise and very helpful. An ever-increasing desire for an ever-diminishing return. That is, you use the alcohol more and more, and you get less and less benefit or effect. I smoke the pot more and more, and I get less and less effect. By the way, I'd volunteer that I've abused most things you can abuse in life before I became a Christian and to some degree after when I was a new Christian. And I remember praying to the Lord, help me. I didn't want to continue some of the things I was doing. I felt enslaved, and I didn't know how to get free. Ask any addict how free they feel. Uh, Not very. An ever-increasing desire for an ever-diminishing return. Listen to Paul's version of freedom and slavery. I'm just going to highlight out of Romans 7. Paul said, what I'm doing I don't understand. I'm not doing what I want to. I'm doing the thing I hate. And it's not really me doing it. It's the sin in me. It's that area in my life in which I'm not what I should be. The good that I want to do, I'm not doing. But the very evil thing that I'm not doing, that's what I'm not what I want to do. That's what I'm doing. Sin lives in me. He says it makes me a prisoner of the law of sin. And he concludes with this great statement, wretched man that I am. He looks at his own struggle with sin, freedom and slavery. And his conclusion is this, wretched man that I am, who will set me free? My fear for most of us is we don't know how wretched we really are. We're not, we don't know enough about our own slavery and bondage to say with Paul, who will set me free? We don't feel wretched. That's our problem. Let me close with this illustration. I've used it before, but it, it bears well this morning, I think. Uh, the Christmas Carol, Ebenezer Scrooge, you know, that man about town, that man of means, that guy who can pretty well live life as he sees fit because he's wealthy. He has stature socially because of his wealth. He can live where he likes, do what he likes, eat what he likes. He looks free on the outside. And of course, on that fateful Christmas Eve, Scrooge is up there eating his meager portion of porridge for dinner, all by himself, because that's the way he freely chooses to live, when he hears some strange noises coming up the stairs to his bedroom. And lo and behold, after this strange noises come through, this ghost appears to him, this this ghost of his former partner, Marley. And when Marley comes into his room, he is laden with these heavy steel chains and these weights that he's carrying in his arms. 
And besides being afraid, Scrooge is curious. And Jacob, what in the world? What is this? What are these chains? What are these heavy weights you're carrying about? And Jacob Marley tells him, these are the links. This is the chain I forged in my lifetime. These are my sins and my selfishness come back in the form of chains and weights which I must now carry past the grave in this life that I now live. Here is this ghostly apparition. And he warns Scrooge that years ago, the last time he looked, Scrooge had a chain, this unseen chain, these unseen weights as long and heavy or heavier as Marley's own. And that Scrooge has been working on that chain for the years since. On one hand, you look at Scrooge's life and you'd say, here's a man of freedom. Marley looks at his life and say, you're a man weighed down in chains and slavery and your own bonds. You think you're free, Scrooge, but you're not. You're a slave to your own sin. So ask yourself this week, how free am I Really? How free am I? Really? And these are some of the questions you can ask, just to fill that out a little bit. When I think by myself about who I am and what I look like, am I the kind of person I wanted to be? Am I the kind of person I meant to be? Now, I don't mean, do you have the perfect job? I don't mean, do you have the perfect life or the perfect house? I mean you. Inside you, are you the person you wanted to be? Are you the person you aimed for? That's one question. The second is this. Are you making choices that you would be glad of or proud of if made public? Or are you making choices that you'd be glad of five years from now or ten years from now or in eternity? Do the choices you make, and I mean in any or every area of your life, are they the choices you would be glad to have made public or look back on 10 years, 20 years, or from eternity and say, yes, those were the right choices? And last, do you find yourself doing things, saying things, acting positively in commission or omission in ways that you later regret. I don't mean wisdom choices. I don't mean I had two choices to make, here were my options, and this wasn't, didn't turn out to be that as good a choice as I could have made if I knew, only knew better. No, I mean the choices you make, do you look back and say, I wish I hadn't said that immediately because you know it's wrong. I wish I hadn't done that. I knew it was wrong, but I wanted to do it anyway. In your life, in the various niches and crannies of your life, To what degree are you characterized by making choices you know, when you make them, are wrong? How free am I really? So do an inventory this week and just ask yourself before the Lord, how free am I and in what areas of my life am I in bondage? How free am I really? Am I the person I meant to be Am I making choices I'll be glad of in the future? And how often am I doing things that when I do them, I know they're wrong? Make a list for yourself, mental, or write it down, whatever you want. 
Think about that this week. Pray about it. And then next Sunday, we'll look in John 8. And hopefully we come to a table hungry so that when we see the feast that's set, we're ready to dive in. And that hopefully we gain some sense. This will be more or less for all of us. This will look a little different for every one of us. won't be the same for any of us. But that when we come and we start talking about being free, free makes sense. And we have a desire and an appetite for freedom because we recognize those areas in our life in which we're not free. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that this week you'd give each of us a context and an appreciation for the ways in our own lives, Lord, no one else's, just our own, in which we are not the people you mean us to be, or we are not free the way we long to be, or you died to make us. Lord, help us to come to grips and to have our eyes open to the areas of our life in which we are in bondage and you mean to bring us into freedom. Lord, I pray that uh, this process would be by your spirit so that it ends in life. We don't want to produce the sorrow of the world, Lord, that simply remains with more death, but we want to find the kind of repentance that ends in life. So, Lord, in this journey towards freedom, Help us this week to perceive, to understand, to come to grips with the areas in our life that are not what you would have them be. And help us to come hungry, Lord, to your table of freedom next week. In Jesus' name, amen.